So turn in your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus changes everything, every single time. You, you want the next deal to change everything. You just do. You want the next experience to, the next upgrade, the next opportunity, the next game, the, the next relationship, the next movie that comes out, the next weather forecast that's in your favor, the next fishing trip, the next thing. Oh, this is what's going to do it. And occasionally we hit the jackpot and it's awesome. But more often than not, what you're hoping for, just kind of, you know, man, this garage sale, I heard it's the best garage sale of the year, you know, and you go there and there's nothing for you or whatever. Jesus, though, he's so faithful. The Bible says that when you wait on the Lord, you'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like an eagle. You'll run and you won't grow weary. You'll walk and you won't faint. How, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do? You wait on the Lord. You get in his presence. When you tap in, you ever plug your phone in at night? You guys do that? Just me? You guys do that too. When, when you plug your phone in at night, something magic happens, doesn't it? It, it powers up. It's prepared then for the next day. It's prepared then for the usage. It's prepared for the abuse. It's prepared to be that tool moving you forward, navigating through the... But if you don't plug in, you know what that's like. It's, it's not a good tool. It's a fearful tool. Oh, I don't know. I can't text this person back. I'm gonna, it's going to die because you didn't take the time to tap into the source. And for you young people here, you got a lot of living ahead of you. And as you find Jesus as your power source... You're going to do a lot of living. Your life is going to be awesome. God has plans for you. It's going to be legit. Even for you old people. Okay, you're not done yet. Okay, I love you. I'm like in the middle. I don't know who I am. I'm old, I'm young. You plug in and you let the Lord download his purpose, his apps, his application. What, what does God have for you? Don't even worry about that part. Please, that's going to happen. Don't worry about what God has for you and what he's going to do and where he's going to take you. Don't worry about that. All you really got to do is make sure you have enough power to get there, okay? And that's time spent with him. He'll get you there. It's going to be fun. It's going to be noteworthy. It's going to be monumental. It's going to be miraculous and eternal. But it's not going to last very long if you don't plug in, if you don't find Jesus. So with that being said, let's read now verses 4 through, no, no, verses one through six of chapter four of the book of Ephesians. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. Lord, in Jesus' name, we read your word and we approach your will, and we ask God for your mercy to overwhelm this crowd this morning, that even in this time together, we would be powered up. The future is going to unravel and unfold. It's not going to have a problem doing so. But we, Lord, want to be powered up and ready, equipped, perfected to do our part, 
to have the apps and the application of what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a woman of God, what it means to have the word of God as our guide. And so we all again collectively repent for who we are naturally and what we've done even today or this week in and of our own strength. And we ask now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to overwhelm us and to do in us and to create hope and to create love and to create faith. Lord, I also ask for your help for me. I've been, I've been busy, scattered, overwhelmed at times. And just thank you for the love that you have for this church, for your body, for your name, for me, your son. And we ask that today we would be blessed, Lord, in your presence. You're the, the giver of all good things. You're the giver of all good gifts. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. And so we rest, Lord. Holy Spirit, change lives. That is my, my, my heart, that lives would change today, that eyes would see better, that hearts would beat softer, that love would grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, now we get into what some would consider the exciting portion or the action portion of the book of Ephesians. It's the how-to it's the what now. My pastor would call it at the end of a sermon. You always want to make sure to give people the so what. Now what do I do? Now that you've preached my ears off and preached my... I got other adjectives, but now that I'm all preached up, so what? And Paul, 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 who's been spending chapters 1, 2, and 3 preaching, laying down doctrine, now segues into chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the so what. Oh, yeah. The exciting part. The what now, the what to do. It's called the practice of the preaching. It would be considered, if you would, the application of the illumination. Now that you see, now you can do. You ever tried to do before you can see? You know how it is. You buy a new appliance or you, a new DVD player or phone, and it comes with some instructions, I'm sure, somewhere, but no one reads them, Right? And you just do before you see, and you plug it in and push buttons, 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 you know, and eventually it works after it breaks. And Paul gives us the instructions first. Instruct, 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 instruct. Now do, do, do. It's, or, it's order on purpose. The application comes after illumination. It's like when you used to watch G.I. Joe as a kid. Remember G.I. Joe, Great American Hero? And at the end, they would always have the public service announcement. And they would have the kids doing stuff, and a G.I. Joe ranger would come up and teach them something. And then they would always end the caption. Now you know, and knowing is... Half the battle. Where did you guys grow up? What are you? G.I. Joe, great American hero. Come on. Levi, you got that, right? Yeah. Anyways, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. I heard that as a kid. Knowing's half the battle? Sheesh. That's pretty big. I want to do, do, do. Knowing. In, in chapters one through three, you, got, you can't, you're not even allowed to read chapters four, five, and six and attempt them unless you have sat so deep and so well and so long in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Unless you know how to navigate back to chapters 1, 2, and 3 every day. The, the concepts and the illumination, the depth, the revelation of who God is and what he's done. Paul is tripping in Ephesus, in jail, locked up, writing about the great wealth and worthiness of what Christ has done. And finally, after it took us six months of study for three chapters, six months we started to go in January, 
And now we finally get to, oh, now, now what do I do? Well, don't go to what you do until you know what's been done. You're gonna, you'll do it wrong. You'll be like the vast majority of Christians, okay? Works-oriented, aggressive in their flesh, not understanding the great love and depth of Christ whatsoever, but wanting to go to the precepts of Christ. Oh, this is the righteousness that we have to impede upon ourselves and especially upon other people. Not knowing anyway, so I get ahead of myself. Being a Christian, by the way, it really only consists of a couple steps. You realize that, don't you? It's very easy to be a Christian. It's very easy. Step number one and two are concise. Love God and love people. Pretty easy, right? I would add two more steps. Love God, love people, hate sin, and kill the devil. Okay, that's kind of like, if you want to know what your life should look like, like, love God, start there. Once you get that one figured out real well, and love is reciprocal, you don't love him first, you love him second. He loves you first, and you respond, you apply once it gets illuminated, and then all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, I, I love God so much because he loves me first, and oh my gosh, now I love people. And you start to love people, and then as you grow, you're like, oh, I hate sin, it's so cool, and then you mature, and like, oh, I want to kill the devil, you know, and, I want to kill the devil. I love praying for the devil to die every day. I just pray. Anyways, that's my problem. Too much G.I. Joe. But uh, being a Christian is really simple. It's absolutely simple. And chapters one through three are doctrinal. What's the done, the, the, the truth. And chapters four, five, and six aren't doctrinal. They're practical. Practical Christianity. It's easy to say love God and love people. But how's that look? You know? I mean, how's that look? It's a two-step. It's a Christian two-step. Just love God and love people. You'll be fine. Come back if you fail. You know? How does it look, though? And Paul gets into the how does it look, the practical steps, the workings, the nuances, the details. Oh, it's been so fun as a pastor to meditate on these simple concepts that he lays out in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We studied it two weeks ago. We're going to study it again because I already forgot it. So I assume you guys did, too. And as I'm studying, oh, I'm not doing what he said to do. I'm just not doing it. Just, the Lord's just bringing it back to my memory every time I don't walk in gentleness or long-suffering or forbearance oh, oh, or don't walk in unity but instead walk in division. And the Lord says, hey, that's, that was like the springboard right there. That's the foundation. The house is already sliding off the foundation of your Christianity, which is just two steps. Love God and love people. And we want to just develop so fast and go bigger and all this. And don't, don't you just want stuff to be more and God's, sometimes just brings us back to the very basics. And as you mature, he says, no, it's actually all that more stuff and distraction and all the other, it's actually all summarized in these two steps. It's all right there. You want all that fancy stuff and you want to be successful and you want to have a ministry and you want to be strong and you want to kill the devil and hate sin. It's right here. It's right here. Love God and love people. And it's so elementary at times, like, I don't know how to do that. And so Paul gives us chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, or 4, 5, and 6 that we might understand. Chapters 1 and 3, I just need you guys to get this. It covered the wealth that is in Christ. Oh, the, the, the bank account that we now have to operate from. When you plug in, there's so much power. Do you guys ever plug your phone in at night and wonder if there's going to be enough power in the wall for your phone? Maybe you live in that house. Okay, I don't. You know, I plug in, I'm like, I don't worry about it. It's going to work. There's enough for everybody. And when you know chapters one through three, you're like, there's enough. You can go to chapters four, five, and six and say, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I can love God and love people. Lord, have you seen the people you're asking me to love? <laughs> Lord, you're asking me to hate sin, but I don't know. There's something in, in me that actually I'm just drawn to. I don't, know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have the power. You don't have the power. 
But in chapters one, two, and three, there's so much power. It's the wealth. It's the wealth. And now he segues into the work, the walk, the what now, the so what. And if you get there before you got there, you got there too soon. You can't get there until you got there sitting with Christ, understanding what you got. Did you know why this is why morning devotionals are so important? I just need you to hear this. This is why morning devotionals are critical to your Christian day, your journey. Because a morning devotional isn't, maybe you do this and you're doing it wrong, it isn't so you can earn or prove to God or merit your worthiness. I read, I memorized, I prayed, uh, now I can go do my day. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you think that way? If I, if I don't do it, I feel bad. I've got to show God how ready I am for this day. Morning devotionals, or anytime you seek the Lord, isn't so you can present yourself to the Lord as perfect and strong and impressive. Listen, this will change your whole life. It's so you can present yourself to the Lord and learn how magnificent and impressive and big and powerful he is. And when you present yourself to the Lord in your morning devotionals or in your evening times, it's not to earn merits or to feel better about yourself. It has nothing to do with you. It is so you can get yourself in the presence of God and get filleted wide open again. <laughs> because of who he is. And then you're prepared. Oh, oh, wow, now I can love my wife. I can love my kids because of my love I just received. I didn't show off to God. <laughs> he showed, he reminded me, when I read the stories of the Old Testament, I love them. I love the Old Testament. Love the stories. I wish I had more time. I wish there were two of me. One of me just to read and one of me to do what I do. Is that sick? Anyways, that's me. Because in the stories of the Old Testament, it just illustrates and highlights and illuminates God's crazy love, power, purpose, and plan through all situations and circumstances. There's not one situation and circumstance in your life that can't be outdone by a situation and circumstance in the Old Testament. Like God's been there, done that. You're like, oh, but I got a tough thing ahead of me. And I was like, read the Old Testament. God can handle it. And when you understand, when you just present, oh, the Lord, what have I been doing I've been trying to live right and do right and know right, but I'm not even plugged in. I've just been trying to get these applications working on my phone and so many systems going, and it's all in your own strength. You're doing it absolutely incorrect, and it will lead you ultimately to exhaustion and brokenness, okay, which is right where the Lord meets you and says, hi, love you, love you, and he picks you up, and he takes you back to the power source, and he plugs you in. It's all about him. It's all about him. And there's people here today that have been stressing all week long, all month long, working hard. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus. But you're not doing it with him, and you're even doing it in spite of him. And it's a, when David, this morning I prayed for myself, and I just reminded myself, was reminded of David. I said, Lord, I want to be like David, just, just a little bit, not all the ways. <laughs> but I want to be like David, and he just, when he, when he sensed the Lord, and he knew the Lord's goodness. Man, he was just a, a weirdo. He didn't care. He would dance and he would write and sing, twirl around like a weirdo because he was so full of love, the love that God had for him, not his own merit and strength. And he was like, oh, the Lord, I can do this. I can live. I can be a king. I can... And I just want to have that softness that David had. 
that he was able to know the Lord and his goodness. Well, that's what Paul has been laying down for you and for me in order that he would rocket us into then the what now, the applications. Let's turn the phone on now that it's got enough power to work itself out. And again, if you're a morning devotional person or if you spend time with Jesus on your own, please do that. Change their motive why you do it. Don't do it to impress them or because you feel guilty or because Pastor Luke said so. Okay? Show up to God and say, all right, God, I'm a little dry. I'm a little weary. I'm a little exhausted. And apparently, you're none of those things. So I need everything you have. I'm going to get in your book, and I need you to prove it. I need you to fire me up. I got nothing. I'm not bringing anything to the table. <laughs> I'm going to usurp. I'm taking virtue from you. But I, and when you look at God as that way, as the father, the provider, the author, the giver, you actually honor him. It actually is the right thing to do. If you were to come to my house and treat me like your provider and the one who gives you everything and sustains your life, I would actually be offended, okay? That's how we treat each other. Don't, hey, don't, don't use me. Don't, don't, don't do that. God, on the other hand, says, that's actually the way it is. And to be anything other than that is independent and prideful. To say, I could do this myself. God says, really? The battery's going to go down. It's going to go from green to red. You guys know that feeling, right? Oh, you know. 19%. (laughs) But Paul, in order to apply the wealth, in order to show us what it looks like, very simple, in order to instruct us now to work it out, we're on this cusp. That's why I take this long time to develop this transition. This is really the middle of the book. And he's going to have us now get to work. Last week I was in Vermont and I flew out on Monday, I believe it was, uh, three in the afternoon there. I went and did a CrossFit workout on Monday. It's not good to do CrossFit before a 10-hour flight, okay? Just mental note next time. Anyways, I did that and flew from Vermont down to Pennsylvania and landed in Philadelphia and quick little hop on another flight. And on the way to Portland from Philadelphia, they said the winds are at about 100 knots at 36,000 feet. So we're going to burn up too much fuel and it's going to take longer and blah, blah, blah. So we got to land in Minneapolis to get some more jet fuel. So I was like, cool. Quick little flight diversion, only going to be an hour and a half sitting on the tarmac there. No big deal. So we landed there and fueled up. It was actually kind of cool though. I got to see my old neighborhood. I grew up in Minnesota, spent three years there right at the end of the runway. My house that I lived in is actually runway currently right now. It's actually right there. And so I went home technically and sat there and Flew over my neighborhood and saw where I used to do things. And on the way back, though, when we were flying over Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, I was looking out the window. I had a window seat, and like a little kid, just, you know, gawking out there. I don't care. Anyways, and I looked out, and I saw all the farmland. You guys know what it's like to fly, and you see the geography from above. It's amazing, isn't it? All these big squares and roads that intersect and developments. And it's really fascinating. But as we got into the rural areas of Minnesota, the lakes minimized But the farms grew in these big plots of land, big acreages, squares in nature, green pastures. Every one of these squares, though, had one thing in common. Every one of these squares had within it a farmhouse with a silo and some equipment just kind of tucked into the corner. Every single one of them was like, here's your wealth, the field, and here's where the workers live. And here's where the work gets done. I just saw this this field of wealth, and no one's going to get it without going to work on it. And each one of you and I have the same obligation, the same opportunity to have the wealth of Christ given to us, these great fields of 
purpose and power and strength, but you do have to do the work. There is that transition where I got to get up like a farmer and I got to go. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. You've heard it said, maybe misquoted or at least out of context. Now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've heard that. It gets in Philippians chapter 2. Read it on your own time. Paul doesn't get to Philippians chapter 2 where he says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't get to that until he details what Christ has done. Just in that little section, he says, ooh, in Christ, who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be like God, took off his godship, if you would, and humbled himself to a point of a man. He was a God-man. Not only did he humble himself to be in a man, but he humbled himself to death. And he goes on to the wealth of what Christ has done before he says, now work. It's the same transition. And I want you to get this. If you're trying to be a Christian here, I'll ask that question a little bit. If you're trying to do it, you're, you're probably... I'll ask that question a little bit. Let me give one more illustration as we get into the work. If someone came to you and said, I've got this super valuable gold mine. It's produced this much gold and the revenue's been substantial. It's built small towns and it's been passed down from families and it's tucked away in the hills and no one's mining it right now, but it's still full of gold. Here's the rights to the mine. You now have access to the gold. Would that be cool? It would be awesome. Matter of fact, if you have one of those, let me know. I'll take it. (laughs) Kidding, not kidding. But if you got the gold mine, access to it, you still have no gold. You got to get it. You, have, you get to get it. You have the opportunity, and you would be excited. Your family would be excited. Your friends would, you would have friends you didn't have before that are excited to get what you now have access to, but you still have to get it. And this is that catch 22 where the Lord says, I am everything. You are nothing. Okay, cool. Then what? Well, then you take my everything and apply it into your life and become something through my everything in spite of your nothing. Did you guys write that down? Because I just made that up. <laughs> and Paul's going to tell us how, how to be Christians. As a matter of fact, he calls it a walk. He calls it a walk. It, it's the walk. You've heard of that before. It's the walk. I'm walking with Jesus. Man, he called it the walk. It's the, he calls it a walk. Look at verse 1, actually. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were Called In chapters 4, 5, and 6, check this out. He's going to exhort us to walk in unity. He's going to encourage us to walk in love. He's going to encourage us to walk in harmony. He's going to encourage us to walk in purity. He's going to ultimately encourage us to walk in victory. All these little facets and nuances of Christianity, but he uses the same four-letter W word, walk. Well, how do I love people? It's a walk. Well, how do I fight in victory? It's It's a walk. is walking pretty natural to most of you here today? It's, pretty, it's, it's what we do. It's by and large the goal of our lives. And what we do is we walk in these things. It's a practice after you have processed the point and the way of walking. But if, I'll tell you what, he doesn't teach them to walk without first teaching them to sit. To, to sit in Christ and to understand what Christ has already done. Because when you understand, you sit in him. That's what he says in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We sit in Christ in heavenly places. Now walk. You've got to sit before you learn to walk. If you try and walk before you learn to sit, you won't listen. I'll get there in a minute, but you won't listen. You won't know how to fall right if you don't know how to sit first. You've got to know where you're at. You've got to know how this all works. Then you get up and walk, 
and you give it your best and you blow it royally and you sit right back down where you started. You gather yourself. But if you don't know where you're sitting, you're not going to fall right. You're going to fall on your face. But if you can fall on your bottom, like kiddos do, all this is motivated out of love. Okay, he, doesn't go, he doesn't get here very quickly at all. He goes through so many mountaintops and truths. And not until we have learned to sit in his love for us, because love changes everything. Did you know that the motivation of love never fails? If you're motivated by love, oh, it's so sweet. Love is a great motivator. There's all kinds of other motivators, aren't there? Fear. That's a good one. That's what other uh, denominations, I shouldn't say denominations, cults do. I always tell Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to my house. I say, that's very devoted of you to come here on a day like today and knock on my door and get in an argument with me. Come on in. <laughs> this will be fun. I might record it. But I always remind them, I say, by the way, I do what you do too. I said, I go evangelize. I talk to people about Jesus. But my motivation is different than yours. I said, mine isn't for merits or to report or because I've told I've got to or because if I don't, I'll go to hell. That's not my motivation. My motivation is purely love. It's an overflow. It's a response of sitting with Christ. I know, and you guys are here, and I tell them, you're here because you'll get kicked out or you'll get in trouble, and if you don't, you don't qualify. I said, that's bogus. That is fear-based motivation. Love is the greatest motivator of all th things. When a husband and a wife love one another, they don't have to wait for calendar events to buy flowers. You know, well, Valentine's Day is coming up. Just give it another 35 days, honey. <laughs> Your love will be shown. You know, love motivates, and there's just, it's... Well, I grew up in Minnesota, but I also grew up in Newport. I moved here at age 12, and... At age 13, we had a neighbor named Lois, and Lois had this big camper van. She would go travel the states, and she would always come home, and it would always be dirty with flies and all the rest, and she lived in it while she traveled, and she would always pay me 10 bucks to wash this massive beast. And while I enjoyed the 10 bucks as a little kiddo, washing that thing stank. It was hard. It was a beast. It was big, the bugs and all the rest. I would wash it, and she would give me 10 bucks and go on. But the motivation wasn't enough to make it fun. A couple years later, though, I bought my first vehicle, 1993 Pontiac Le Mans. That thing was sweet. Bought it from Mark Watkins. He'll be here at the 6 p.m. service. And I bought it, bought it from him. And that thing, I washed that thing when it was already clean. You know what I'm saying? I kid you not. I washed that thing twice per week and waxed it once per week, okay? It was like worth like two grand. You know, it was like, it wasn't even worth And I washed and waxed. I would jack it up and take the rims and tires off and wash the insides of the rims. And I'm not kidding. And the outsides. And I would peel off the little emblem that said Pontiac Le Mans. And I would spray paint it gold. And I would tape it back on. And, you know, just your average idiot kid. You know, I would. And I, who, who asked me to do that? Nobody. Nobody cared. I loved it. And love when love motivates you. There's, it's the greatest motivator. You don't need a reward. You don't need to be reminded. You don't need to be told. And if you're here and, and you're trying to be a Christian, you probably are. You're here this morning. But your motivation has drifted from love to, to fear or obligation or maybe even to pride and comparing or whatever. You name it on any given day. You're, it's not going to be as fun. It's not going to be as fluid. It's going to seem like a beast of a fly-covered travel van you're trying to wash as opposed to your object of affection. And so Paul, again, before he says, wash the car, he says, by the way, it's yours. God's given it to you. It's your special jewel. 
This is your Christianity, your place on the team, your position at the table, your family dynamic in Christ. Oh, it's been given to you. Oh, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and he made you alive and sat you together with him. And he gives you then this opportunity to co-op with him and to march forward. And when it's love that motivates you, it's not hard to say no to sin, yes to God, love to people. It's not hard. But when you're trying it any other way, you're not, you're, it's going to fail. It's just you can't say no to sin enough for sin's sake. It will trick you and trap you. But for love's sake, it's easy. It's absolutely easy. So when we understand it's love, we respond not out of that fear and obligation or even duty, but instead it's delight and devotion and love. Walking with Jesus, walking, walking. Everyone say walking. I want you to just kind of anticipate that, walking. It, it's what he, he uses this term throughout, throughout the rest of the book. Walk in this, walk in that, walk in this, walk in that. How many of you guys have a Fitbit on your wrist right now? Raise your hand, all you Fitbitters. How many of you have a Fitbit on your hand and didn't raise your hand? Now it's your turn. Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a Fitbit, man. It counts your steps. And all these people are doing it. My wife does it. And she's got all these people she competes with on the daily. She's watching right now. Hi, honey. Anyways. <laughs> and she counts her steps and it helps her to know her steps. And it's, a, it's important to get enough steps in in the day. It's walking. So too in our Christianity, as we find ourselves responding to the love of God, the walking becomes kind of fun. It's exciting. My wife actually has her Fitbit synced with her mom and her uncle and a couple other people, her friends in town here, and she can see on her phone how many steps they've generated that day. I'm kidding not. So about 9 p.m. occasionally, depending on how the day's gone and how she feels, she's like, oh, it's 9 o'clock. I think I'll go for a walk. I'm like, well, a walk? Why would you? Because I don't have enough steps yet, you know? I'm like, motivated. Why are you walking out of the love? It's exciting. And if you think Christianity is a bunch of have-tos, a bunch of got-tos, man, I'm with you. Like, let's go to the beach. Why are we here on a Sunday in a warehouse that's getting muggy? But if it's a get-to, oh, I'm part, oh, I'm part of a thing. I don't belong here. Oh, my goodness. I would love to go to the church at 9 a.m., and sit in a warehouse. I would love to serve. I would love to give of my first fruits to the kingdom of God. Oh, I would love to pray. I would love to hope. I would, I would love to say no to sin. This is so fun. Before, I had no reason to say no, and now I have such good motivation. Oh, and it changes everything about why and how you live. Right now, if you're trying to just be moral and be good and in and of yourself, that's just behavior modification, Okay? That's, did you know that's not what Christ is looking for? Okay? You can get behavior modification through Oprah and listening to some public broadcasting radio. Okay? That's all you need. It's just pretty simple. You know? Behavior modification right there. What God provides in Christ is a heart modification. Oprah cannot give this to you. OPB cannot give this to you. The YMCA cannot give this to you. A heart modification you can change the outside easy, super easy to make a casket look good outside. Very hard to make the inside look good. Only God can have access to your insides. And so when he changes everything, the motivation, oh, 
Now, all of a sudden, my life has a purpose that is bigger than myself, bigger than behavior modification, which has its own simple temporal reward. When you stop doing foolish things, yeah, there's immediate yield, but it's not eternal reward. And when you have eternal reward, there's also behavior modification. Things change, but it's because of your heart has been modified. But he doesn't get there soon. He makes sure we know great things before we attempt great things. I've already said this a million times, and that's an overstatement, but have you ever attempted great things before you know great things? I'm pretty sure it's called malpractice. You know what I'm saying? You don't attempt great things until you know great things. As a matter of fact, to become uh, a, a licensed electrician, you have to complete over four years of training and schooling first, okay? just to put wires in walls that no one will ever see. Okay, to be an electrician, to, to do great things, you have to know great things. To be a plumber, to be a licensed plumber, it takes an average of six years of schooling and training before you can put a pipe in the wall that no one will ever see. Plumbing, electrician, you, you, you have to work hard at what you're going to do before you get to do it at all. If you want to become a teacher uh, at any level, you must complete at least four to upwards of eight years of schooling first to become a teacher, to lead other people. If you want to become a lawyer, you have to complete an average of seven to eight years of schooling. You have to know great things before you attempt great things. To become a dentist, you have to complete at least eight years of schooling first and your training. And if you want to become a doctor, you have to complete at least eight to 16 years of schooling and training. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? And we assume a lot of our doctors and physicians and dentists, like you got... you. you you know what you're doing, right? Like, you know all the ins and outs. Recently, it's a funny story. I should keep it to myself, but it's too late. I went to this one particular dentist in town, and I wanted him to do something for my, for my teeth. And he did a little exam. He says, no, I can't do that. It needs more work than you're asking me to do, and it's, it's, I'm not going to be able to do that for you. And I was, I, was like, I, 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 I hear you. I hear you. And that's the long-term plan, and I'll get there when I'm ready for it. But I need you to just do this right now, which will help me get here. And he said, no. So I went to another dentist. Anybody, like, anybody don't like to be told no for an answer? And this dentist told me the same thing. So I began to believe him. I said, oh, well, maybe you guys are pulling your plays from the same book. And they know it. And that's how it is. And you can't. Wouldn't it be awesome if all Christians knew great things before they attempted great things? And I just wonder how many there are even here today that are trying to be a Christian. Like, you, oh, that's a good idea. I would love to be a Christian. Go to heaven. Avoid hell. Yeah, sign me up. That's amazing. Anything else I need to know? Nope, it's pretty easy. Don't blow it. <laughs> and then you spend your life living in legalism and fear and uncertainty and judgment and criticism and all the rest because you don't know great things before you try and attempt great things. As a matter of fact, he uses this springboard word. Look at verse 1. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I, the prisoner of the Lord, you could remove that word therefore altogether and just say, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. But instead he says, I, therefore, and he points back, it's a throwback word, I, because of, you always got to ask yourself in Bible study when you get to the therefore, what it's there for. Because <laughs> he's about to ask you to do something, but you need to know why. Because if you don't know why, then you're going to blow it in the what. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. And then he goes into the, the nutty, gritty, bolts stuff of what we're to do. And he unfolds for us what it looks to walk in unity and to walk in power and to walk in love and walk in harmony and walk in victory and walk in all these things. But he says it's the throwback word, the therefore. 
It took us six months to get through it. And once you know what it is, how to get done. So many headaches and heartaches would be alleviated. And in our Christian journey, if we would just stay focused on what he's done while we're trying to do what we're doing. I'm going to say that again. So much heartache would be alleviated from your life if you stayed focused on what he's done while you're trying to do what you're doing. You're trying to do what you're trying to do. So am I. We're adults. We're humans. We're doers. We're going to do it. But if you don't stay focused on what he's done, ooh, heartache, headache, mistake. It's going to be a mess, a disaster. But when you stay focused, let me just ask a question. How many, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are trying to live for Jesus right now? Like that's kind of your big E on the chart. Like I'm trying to live for Jesus, like kind of important to me. You know what I'm saying, listen, but if you're trying to quit sinning or trying to quit flirting or trying to quit smoking or trying to quit cussing or trying to quit yelling or trying to quit being fearful or being anxious or trying to quit, if you're trying to do all these, I'm trying to live for Jesus, man, it's hard. I've been there. It's called yesterday. I'm trying to do this, man. I'm just trying to do this. But if you're not focused on the motivator, the chapters one, two, and three, I, therefore, therefore, beseech you to walk worthy of the call. I'm now asking you to mine out the gold. I want you to get serious. And when you know where the gold's at and you know what the field has and you know what the objectives are and he gives us that in chapter four, five, and six, he's gonna tell you how to live. It's easy. Easy. But if your motivation is love, it's actually gonna be accomplishable. And I pray for our church as we get into these chapters, as we move forward, that you would walk and you would find yourself every day missing it, blowing it, misrepresenting God, making mistakes. And your reaction to that wouldn't be try harder, wouldn't be pull out, detach, run away, but your reaction to that would be to look to and sit down in Jesus. And if in your walk you fall, you better fall right on your bottom, right into Jesus' lap right where you started because you're going to blow it and I am too but if my motivation is love oh he loves me he loves me people are going to ask you especially you young people as you prepare to go to college as you prepare to go into the next field you're going to say oh I'm a Christian I believe in the Bible and Jesus <laughs> you what how would you what are you a dinosaur you, what else do you believe in you're crazy you say well I hear you but evidently and obviously you don't know the love of God because it's the motivator. And I've tasted and seen, and I know the love of God he has for me. And I appreciate your intellectual questions, and I'm willing to answer them and talk to you. But it is the love of God that allows me to be chained in Ephesus, chained in Rome, beheaded for Christ. It allows me to be persecuted and misunderstood and challenged. It's the love that motivates, that anchors, that keeps me, that allows me to keep going when I fail while trying. Yesterday, I saw a guy at the Toledo Car Show, and I was walking by, and I honestly don't, I didn't recognize him, still don't to this day. I'm sorry if you're here or watching. But he walked up to me, sunglasses on, and he said, I haven't seen you in a while. And I immediately became defensive. I was like, so I am a good arguer. So I was like, well, where have you been? <laughs> Probably wasn't the right thing to say, but I did it anyways. And I, I just being honest, I said, well, where have you been then? You know, and assuming the best of myself. And his answer... Was, was actually really real. Where, where have you been? I said, he said, I've been lost. He had a lighter in his hand, 
been coming out of the beer garden and piecing things together. It, by his own admission, I've been lost. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, hey, it's easy to get back. It's really easy to get back. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's looking to Jesus wants you back. It's not about groveling. You, 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 how do you get back? You sit down. What if, I, what if I fall when I start walking? Good. That's probably better for you. You need to take a little seat. What if I keep stumbling in my walk and keep falling? Good. Have you ever seen a baby learn to walk? It's, it's a mess, isn't it? Man, they start out being born naked. It's just embarrassing. We wrap them up as fast as we can, and that doesn't work, so we keep doing it for the first three years of their life, and they, just, oh, they keep ruining everything. They sit in this stuff, and eventually, you know how it is. They, the first thing they do is they, they, the first thing they do is they roll over, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, they rolled over, write it down. You know, they roll over, and I'm on my back now, sitting in my stuff, you know. Just, everyone's happy. And then eventually, eventually, they move to sitting up. That's the next milestone. They actually sit up. They're sitting, you know, sitting up. You've got to prop them up with pillows, and they got boppies and all these, like, special pillows, and sitting up, you know. And about six months, eight months, a year, finally, they're standing on those big Michelin tire legs they got there, you know. You know, and everyone around is like, come here, come here, you know, and all they hear is blah, blah, blah. They don't know words, and, but, but they're, they're, they're designed to walk. They're, and they, they're, their first step, everyone around them, oh, get the camera, get the camera, write it down, call grandma, you know, and they take a step or two or three, and what, what happens next? Do you guys know what happens next? Boom, they fall right down on that pampers, you know, and they need a new one immediately. It's a blowout, you know, and they, but how does every... And what do we do as parents and as grandparents? We applaud them. Yeah! <laughs> you know, pictures. And this kid's looking around going, what did I just do? <laughs> two things happened. Number one, that walking thing was sweet. Number two, that cheering, that applause, that love, that motivates me. They pull themselves back up and they take another two or three steps to the same reaction. Yeah! You know, screaming. What if the Christian community was the same? What if when we saw people take their first steps, oh, you're walking with Jesus now? Oh, my gosh. It's so beautiful. And what if when somebody fell, made a mistake? We, oh, you're still on the team. You fall in Jesus. You're right back where you started. It's okay. You're, why are we clapping? Because you're going to keep going. You're going to make it. You're going to be all right. It's going to be fascinating as you understand who Christ is. Therefore, walk. This will alleviate headaches for you, all your heartaches, when you look at Jesus more than you look at yourself. Did you know that you can't do anything to make Christ love you less? You can't do it. He saved you when you were dead. When you were trespassing and sinning, that's when he saved. You can't do anything. So right now, if you're wondering if you're on Christ's bad list because of bad behavior, <clears throat> you can't do anything to make him love you less. Check this out, though, legalists. You also can't do anything to make him love you more. Again, your morning devotionals, your great attempts, the things you do are not to impress the Lord, but to be impressed by the Lord. It's all about him. You, you can't earn his love. He didn't save you because you were savable. Well, there's a good one. We had a couple good ones on the team for all these other riffraff. Nope. 
No, he didn't save you because you were savable. He saved you because he's the savior. That's what he does. And when you understand him in that context, there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. Wow, he says that's pretty good. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. So why am I trying? Because his love is already established. He already is the savior. He already is my lover. And my failure rate, my falling in actuality in Christ is being received in heaven with applaud. Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Do we believe this? The Bible says it. Paul's tripping. <laughs> Paul's writing all this stuff. He says, this is so you guys don't get it. Woo! Jesus is so good. And so he beseeches us, the prisoner of the Lord, to walk worthy of the calling. Notice that Paul says he's a prisoner of the Lord. This is two ways clarifying. It reminds us of his condition, he's a prisoner, but it also shows us the solution, his savior. At the exact same time. I'm all messed up. I'm, in, I'm not in a happy place. That's my condition. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you guys are in a tight spot right now? Things are just tight, emotionally or physically, financially. Maybe you're just stressed. I actually prayed right there. I shouldn't tell you, but I prayed coming up the stairs. Lord, don't let me die. Just feeling the pressure. That was my prayer. I laugh. I was like, that's a funny prayer. And you guys feel the pressure. And Paul's like, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Literally, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. And your situation is real. It's real. But your solution is also very real. And Paul would say, before I get into this, before I jump off into this walk, 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 do, 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 know this, I'm right there with you. He's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not, A, willing to do himself, or B, already doing. That's your pastor, Paul. He, he could have invented this saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So he's like, hey, <laughs> Therefore, I beseech you, I'm the prisoner. I'm here too. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to believe or walk or do anything that I'm not also doing. So too your Savior, who asks you to be salt and light in this world, to, to live your life sacrificially for others, with your eyes on heaven and your hands to the plow. So too your Savior did what he asks you to do. This makes Christianity so different than every other religion. That our Savior said, hey, would you live? Would you serve? And if they don't accept you and they kill you, would you just roll over and die while you're praying for them? Would you do it? I'll do it first. How about that? I'll do it first. I'll do it for them and for you simultaneously. Paul beseeches them. He exhorts them. This is my last, last point. <laughs> I meant to get through six verses. Good luck. Almost got through one. I love Pastor Paul because he loves people. He loved God so much it was just ridiculous. And then it came out in the way he loved people. And he beseeches them. He could have easily be doing so many other things in his own life right now. But he's wanting, I beseech you, walk worthy. He's encouraging them. Can I encourage you to even today just repent of trying hard or fighting with sin or whatever Instead, just focus on Jesus. You've got to soften your heart to do it. It's just really, you've got to just soften your heart to do it. But it'll change everything. And can I exhort you to walk worthy? To just be excited? The world's crazy, right? There's floods. There's rage and shootings and violence. There's confusion. There's political anarchy. There's, there's economic 
uncertainty. It's just crazy. It is crazy. But God gives us hope for hopelessness. God gives us an answer. You have the answer. What about the politics? What about the president? I don't have the answer. What about the future and the economic strength of the EU and Britain and America? I don't have the answer. What about pandemics and epidemics and plagues and all the and diseases and brain-eating things? I don't have the answer. What about where to get coffee in town? I have the answer. That's it. That's it, though. That's it. Here's your answer. Oh, get in the Word. Find out who God is. Do you realize that God has been faithful to humanity in more diverse and uncertain times than our culture has right now? You realize that? God has already been through this with other cultures. He's already been there. He's already been, he's been so faithful. He's, know who God is, and you will have no fear. You'll have hope in its place. I exhort you. When I got saved, it was in 1990. Well, I got saved as a, as a child. But when I gave, came back to the Lord, it was 1998 and 1999. But I had a hard time coming back. It was a, a tough exodus. You can get out of Egypt, but it's tough to get Egypt out of you. And I found myself driving from Ashland by myself to Newport. And I was still dabbling in drugs and all the rest and was kind of in a depressed mode and doing that. And I went to the Valley River Center in Eugene, Oregon. I don't know why. I actually don't know why I went there, but I did. And I was walking around aimlessly before I came here. And I saw this group of four men, tall. Well, anybody to me is tall, but they were, you know, <laughs> tall. And they saw me. And one knew me, and I didn't know it yet, but he saw me. He's like, I know that guy. And his name's Matt Carney. He's now a world-famous musician. And we were friends. We'd given our lives to the Lord earlier that year previous. And he saw me, and he walked over to me. And I was not in my right mind. And he just looked at me big smile on his face, and he exhorted me. He said, he exhorted me what the Lord was going to do in my life and what the Lord was doing and who God was. And I just remember listening to this guy with his four friends, three friends, hearing from them hope and purpose in the midst of my stumbling. I wasn't walking with Jesus very well. I was actually sitting down through failure. This is it. This is how it works. We walk, we walk, we walk, and occasionally we fall. And while we're walking, our motivation is love. And Paul is, exhorts and beseeches. I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and they're going to lead us in a song, and we're going to come to the table. And as I just mentioned, I don't have the answers for all your problems. I actually don't. As a matter of fact, that's what leads to some of my pressure and stress and anxiety is I don't have all the answers. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else with me? Trying to figure it all out? <laughs> you know, i got to figure it out. <laughs> you can't figure it out. But I can point you, and I can point myself, and I can run to Jesus. And I can plug into him. Say, Lord, I need some power. All these applications are happening. There's, there's good things that need to happen. There's some of my apps on my spiritual life that need to be deleted. They're just not necessary. But it's your time and your focus and your attention on Jesus Christ that will never fail you. Everything else will. The election will come and go. It's not going to put us where we want to go. I don't care how. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. Nothing else is going to do it except Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name now, we celebrate you. And we receive your exhortation, Lord, through your word this morning. We apologize, Lord, for 
who we are naturally, our sin, Lord, just who we are. It's what we do. We're like babies that can barely walk and keep falling. It's who we are. May we repent today of being bummed out at ourselves, disappointed in our spouses, bummed out at the leaders around us. That's not, it's not the solution. The solution is just to realize it's not about us at all. Put our eyes back on Jesus. Your word does that. Time of gathering does that. This morning, I sense, Lord, that you've done that. So I pray for the young men. I pray for the old men. I pray that they would man up today. In Jesus' name. That they would look to you. They wouldn't walk harder, stronger, faster. Not yet, at least. But instead, they would look to you. And out of that power would come application. I pray for the young women, Lord. The older women pray your blessing, Lord, strength and power, vitality and virtue and love to be poured into them right now. That what comes out of them, Lord, would be beauty. It would be purpose and peace. Lord, that your body would be equipped even this morning. If you're here this morning and you you simply need more power that is motivated by love motivated by his love for you not yours for him his for you if you need to be broken if you're too prideful or too fast or too and you know it and you want to return to the sitting position so that way you can stand You want to wait on the Lord and renew your strength and mount up with wings like eagles. If that's you and you don't know how or you don't know what or you don't know if, but that's you, just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand right now. And Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. That those who are putting their hands up would put their hands up like those who would receive a hug. Maybe put both hands up repent of your busyness. Say, Lord, I just need you to hug me. I just need you to applaud me. I'm, I'm actually sitting down. I don't feel very good. Could you just love me? I blew it. I, I fell. I just, I don't even know where I'm walking. Lord, can you love me? Can you cheer for me? And I'll get up and I'll try again. Lord, my hands are up to you. As we come to the table, Jesus, worship and sing we love you back because you first loved us in Jesus name we pray